0: Section 3 of Curiosities of Literature, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Curiosities of Literature, Volume 1 by Isaac Disraeli. On the Life and Writings of Mr. Disraeli, Part 3. The next ten years passed entirely in production. From 1812 to 1822, the press abounded with his works. His calamities of authors, his memoirs of literary controversy in the manner of Bale, his essay on the literary character, the most perfect of his compositions, were all chapters in that history of English literature which he then commenced to meditate, and which it was fated should never be completed it was during this period also that he published his inquiry into the literary and political character of james i in which he first opened those views respecting the times and the conduct of the stuarts which were opposed to the long prevalent opinions of this country but which with him were at least the result of unprejudiced research and their promulgation as he himself expressed it an affair of literary conscience footnote the present inquiry originates in an affair of literary conscience many years ago i set off with the popular notions of the character of james the first but in the course of study and with a more enlarged comprehension of the age i was frequently struck by the contrast between his real and his apparent character it would be a cowardly silence to shrink from encountering all that popular prejudice and party feeling may oppose this would be incompatible with the constant search after truth which at least may be expected from the retired student preface to the inquiry End of footnote but what retarded his project of a history of our literature at this time was the almost embarrassing success of his juvenile production the curiosities of literature these two volumes had already reached five editions and their author found himself by the public demand again called upon to sanction their reappearance recognizing in this circumstance some proof of their utility he resolved to make the work more worthy of the favor which it enjoyed and more calculated to produce the benefit which he desired without attempting materially to alter the character of the first two volumes he revised and enriched them while at the same time he added a third volume of a vein far more critical and conveying the results of much original research the success of this publication was so great that its author after much hesitation resolved as he was wont to say to take advantage of a popular title and pour forth the treasures of his mind in three additional volumes which unlike continuations in general were at once greeted with the highest degree of popular delight and esteem and indeed whether we consider the choice variety of the subjects the critical and philosophical speculation which pervades them the amount of new and interesting information brought to bear and the animated style in which all is conveyed it is difficult to conceive miscellaneous literature in a garb more stimulating and attractive these six volumes after many editions are now condensed into the form at present given to the public and in which the development of the writer's mind for a quarter of a century may be completely traced although my father had on the whole little cause to complain of unfair criticism especially considering how isolated he always remained it is not to be supposed that a success so eminent should have been exempt in so long a course from some captious comments it has been alleged of late years by some critics that he was in the habit of exaggerating the importance of his researches that he was too fond of styling every accession to our knowledge however slight as a discovery that there were some inaccuracies in his early volumes not very wonderful in so multifarious a work and that the foundation of his secret history was often only a single letter or a passage in a solitary diary the sources of secret history at the present day are so rich and various there is such an eagerness among their possessors to publish family papers even sometimes in shapes and at dates so recent as scarcely to justify their appearance that modern critics in their embarrassment of manuscript wealth are apt to view with too depreciating an eye the more limited resources of men of letters at the commencement of the century not five-and-twenty years ago when preparing his work on king charles the First, the application of my father to make some researches in the state paper office was refused by the secretary of state of the day now foreign potentates and ministers of state and public corporations and the heads of great houses feel honored by such appeals and respond to them with cordiality it is not only the state paper office of england but the archives of france that are open to the historical investigator but what has produced this general and expanding taste for literary research in the world and especially in england the labours of our elder authors whose taste and acuteness taught us the value of the materials which we in our ignorance neglected when my father first frequented the reading-room of the british museum at the end of the last century his companions never numbered half a dozen among them if i remember rightly were mr pinkerton and mr deuce now these daily pilgrims of research may be counted by as many hundreds few writers have more contributed to form and diffuse this delightful and profitable taste for research than the author of the curiosities of literature few writers have been more successful in inducing us to pause before we accepted without a scruple the traditionary opinion that has distorted a fact or calumniated a character and independently of every other claim which he possesses to public respect his literary discoveries viewed in relation to the age and the means were considerable but he had other claims a vital spirit in his page kindred with the souls of a bale and a montaigne his innumerable imitators and their inevitable failure for half a century alone proved this and might have made them suspect that there were some ingredients in the spell besides the accumulation of facts and a happy title many of their publications perpetually appearing and constantly forgotten were drawn up by persons of considerable acquirements and were ludicrously mimetic of their prototype even as to the size of the volume and the form of the page what has become of these varieties of literature and delights of literature and delicacies of literature and relics of literature and the other protean forms of uninspired compilation dead as they deserve to be while the work the idea of which occurred to its writer in his early youth and which he lived virtually to execute in all the ripeness of his studious manhood remains as fresh and popular as ever the literary miscellany of the english people i have ventured to enter into some details as to the earlier and obscurer years of my father's life because i thought that they threw light upon human character and that without them indeed a just appreciation of his career could hardly be formed i am mistaken if we do not recognise in his instance two very interesting qualities of life predisposition and self-formation there was a third which i think is to be honoured and that was his sympathy with his order no one has written so much about authors and so well indeed before his time the literary character had never been fairly placed before the world he comprehended its idiosyncrasy all its strength and all its weakness he could soften because he could explain its infirmities in the analysis and record of its power he vindicated the right position of authors in the social scale they stand between the governors and the governed he impresses on us in the closing pages of his greatest work footnote essay on the literary character volume two chapter twenty five though he shared none of the calamities and scarcely any of the controversies of literature no one has sympathized so intimately with the sorrows or so zealously and impartially registered the instructive disputes of literary men he loved to celebrate the exploits of great writers and to show that in these ages the pen is a weapon as puissant as the sword he was also the first writer who vindicated the position of the great artist in the history of genius his pages are studded with pregnant instances and graceful details barred from the life of art and its votaries and which his intimate and curious acquaintance with italian letters readily and happily supplied above all writers he has maintained the greatness of intellect and the immortality of thought he was himself a complete literary character a man who really passed his life in his library even marriage produced no change in these habits he rose to enter the chamber where he lived alone with his books and at night his lamp was ever lit within the same walls nothing indeed was more remarkable than the isolation of this prolonged existence and it could only be accounted for by the united influence of three causes his birth which brought him no relations or family acquaintance the bent of his disposition and the circumstance of his inheriting an independent fortune which rendered unnecessary those exertions that would have broken up his self-reliance he disliked business and he never required relaxation he was absorbed in his pursuits in london his only amusement was to ramble among booksellers if he entered a club it was only to go into the library in the country he scarcely ever left his room but to saunter in abstraction upon a terrace muse over a chapter or coin a sentence he had not a single passion or prejudice all his convictions were the result of his own studies and were often opposed to the impressions which he had early imbibed he not only never entered into the politics of the day but he could never understand them he never was connected with any particular body or set of men comrades of school or college or confederates in that public life which in england is perhaps the only foundation of real friendship in the consideration of a question his mind was quite undisturbed by traditionary preconceptions and it was this exemption from passion and prejudice which although his intelligence was naturally somewhat too ingenious and fanciful for the conduct of close argument enabled him in investigation often to show many of the highest attributes of the judicial mind and particularly to sum up evidence with singular happiness and ability although in private life he was of a timid nature his moral courage as a writer was unimpeachable most certainly throughout his long career he never wrote a sentence which he did not believe was true he will generally be found to be the advocate of the discomfited and the oppressed so his conclusions are often opposed to popular impressions this was from no love of paradox to which he was quite superior but because in the conduct of his researches he too often found that the unfortunate are calumniated his vindication of king james i he has himself described as an affair of literary conscience his greater work on the life and times of the son of the first Stuart arose from the same impulse he had deeply studied our history during the first moiety of the seventeenth century he looked upon it as a famous age he was familiar with the works of its great writers and there was scarcely one of its almost innumerable pamphlets with which he was not acquainted during the thoughtful investigations of many years he had arrived at results which were not adapted to please the passing multitude but which because he held them to be authentic he was uneasy lest he should die without recording yet strong as were his convictions although notwithstanding his education in the revolutionary philosophy of the eighteenth century his nature and his studies had made him a votary of loyalty and reverence his pen was always prompt to do justice to those who might be looked upon as the adversaries of his own cause and this was because his cause was really truth if he has upheld Laud under unjust aspersions the last labour of his literary life was to vindicate the character of few peters if from the recollection of the sufferings of his race and from profound reflection on the principles of the institution he was hostile to the papacy no writer in our literature has done more complete justice to the conduct of the english romanists who can read his history of chidioc tichborne unmoved or can refuse to sympathize with this account of the painful difficulties of the english monarchs with their loyal subjects of the old faith if in a parliamentary country he has dared to criticise the conduct of parliaments it was only because an impartial judgment had taught him as he himself expresses it that parliaments have their passions as well as individuals he was five years in the composition of his work on the life and reign of charles i and the five volumes appeared at intervals between eighteen twenty eight and eighteen thirty one it was feared by his publisher that the distracted epoch at which this work was issued and the tendency of the times apparently so adverse to his own views might prove very injurious to its reception but the effect of these circumstances was the reverse the minds of men were inclined to the grave and national considerations that were involved in these investigations the principles of political institutions the rival claims of the two houses of parliament the authority of the established church the demands of religious sects were after a long lapse of years anew the theme of public discussion men were attracted to a writer who traced the origin of the anti monarchical principle in modern europe treated of the arts of insurgency gave them at the same time a critical history of the puritans and a treatise on the genius of the papacy scrutinized the conduct of triumphant patriots and vindicated a decapitated monarch the success of this work was eminent and its author appeared for the first and only time of his life in public when amidst the cheers of undergraduates and the applause of graver men the solitary student received an honorary degree from the university of oxford a fitting homage in the language of the great university optimi regis optimo vindici i cannot but recall a trait that happened on this occasion after my father returned to his hotel from the theatre a stranger requested an interview with him a swiss gentleman travelling in england at the time who had witnessed the scene just closed begged to express the reason why he presumed thus personally and cordially to congratulate the new doctor of civil law he was the son of my grandfather's chief clerk and remembered his parents employer whom he regretted did not survive to be aware of this honourable day thus amid all the strange vicissitudes of life we are ever as it were moving in a circle notwithstanding he was now approaching his seventieth year his health being unbroken and his constitution very robust my father resolved vigorously to devote himself to the composition of the history of our vernacular literature he hesitated for a moment whether he should at once address himself to this greater task or whether he should first complete a life of pope for which he had made great preparations and which had long occupied his thoughts his review of spence's anecdotes in the quarterly so far back as eighteen twenty which gave rise to the celebrated pope controversy in which mr campbell lord byron mr bowles mr roscoe and others less eminent broke lances would prove how well qualified even at that distant date the critic was to become the biographer of the great writer whose literary excellency and moral conduct he on that occasion alike vindicated but unfortunately as it turned out my father was persuaded to address himself to the weightier task hitherto in his publications he had always felt an extreme reluctance to travel over ground which others had previously visited he liked to give new matter and devote himself to detached points on which he entertained different opinions from those prevalent thus his works are generally of a supplementary character and assume in their readers a certain degree of preliminary knowledge in the present instance he was induced to frame his undertaking on a different scale and to prepare a history which should be complete in itself and supply the reader with a perfect view of the gradual formation of our language and literature he proposed to effect this in six volumes though i apprehend he would not have succeeded in fulfilling his intentions within that limit his treatment of the period of queen anne would have been very ample and he would also have accomplished in this general work a purpose which he had also long contemplated and for which he had made curious and extensive collections namely a history of the english freethinkers but all these great plans were destined to a terrible defeat towards the end of the year eighteen thirty nine still in the full vigour of his health and intellect he suffered a paralysis of the optic nerve and that eye which for so long a term had kindled with critical interest over the volumes of so many literatures and so many languages was doomed to pursue its animated course no more considering the bitterness of such a calamity to one whose powers were otherwise not in the least impaired he bore on the whole his fate with magnanimity even with cheerfulness unhappily his previous habits of study and composition rendered the habit of dictation intolerable even impossible to him but with the assistance of his daughter whose intelligent solicitude he has commemorated in more than one grateful passage he selected from his manuscripts three volumes which he wished to have published under the becoming title of a fragment of a history of english literature but which were eventually given to the public under that of amenities of literature he was also enabled during these last years of physical though not of moral gloom to prepare a new edition of his work on the life and times of charles the first which had been for some time out of print he contrived though slowly and with great labour very carefully to revise and improve and enrich these volumes he was wont to say that the best monument to an author was a good edition of his works it is my purpose that he should possess this memorial he has been described by a great authority as a writer sui generis and indeed had he never written it appears to me that there would have been a gap in our libraries which it would have been difficult to supply of him it might be added that for an author his end was an euthanasia for on the day before he was seized by that fatal epidemic of the danger of which to the last moment he was unconscious he was apprised by his publishers that all his works were out of print and that their republication could no longer be delayed in this notice of the career of my father i have ventured to draw attention to three circumstances which i thought would be esteemed interesting namely predisposition self-formation and sympathy with his order there is yet another which completes and crowns the character constancy of purpose and it is only in considering his course as a whole that we see how harmonious and consistent have been that life and its labours which in a partial and brief view might be supposed to have been somewhat desultory and fragmentary on his moral character i shall scarcely presume to dwell the philosophic sweetness of his disposition the serenity of his lot and the elevating nature of his pursuits combined to enable him to pass through life without an evil act almost without an evil thought as the world has always been fond of personal details respecting men who have been celebrated i will mention that he was fair with a bourbon nose and brown eyes of extraordinary beauty and lustre he wore a small black velvet cap but his white hair latterly touched his shoulders in curls almost as flowing as in his boyhood his extremities were delicate and well formed and his leg at his last hour as shapely as in his youth which showed the vigour of his frame latterly he had become corpulent he did not excel in conversation though in his domestic circle he was garrulous everything interested him and blind and eighty-two he was still as susceptible as a child one of his last acts was to compose some verses of gay gratitude to his daughter-in-law who was his london correspondent and to whose lively pen his last years were indebted for constant amusement he had by nature a singular volatility which never deserted him his feelings though always amiable were not painfully deep and amid joy or sorrow the philosophic vein was ever evident he more resembled goldsmith than any man that i can compare him to in his conversation his apparent confusion of ideas ending with some felicitous phrase of genius his naivete his simplicity not untouched with a dash of sarcasm affecting innocence one was often reminded of the gifted and interesting friend of burke and johnson there was however one trait in which my father did not resemble goldsmith he had no vanity indeed one of his few infirmities was rather a deficiency of self-esteem on the whole i hope nay i believe that taking all into consideration the integrity and completeness of his existence the fact that for sixty years he largely contributed to form the taste charm the leisure and direct the studious dispositions of the great body of the public and that his works have extensively and curiously illustrated the literary and political history of our country it will be conceded that in his life and labours he repaid england for the protection and the hospitality which this country accorded to his father a century ago d Christmas 1848. End of section 3.